0: Hi, I'm Meredith.
1: I'm Kristen, and we'd like to welcome you to The Writer's Story.
0: We are having gorgeous spring weather after briefly having summer. And Um, then winter. Yes. So (laughs) we're having all the weathers.
1: (laughs) Yes, Yes, we are. But I know the sun is shining, and gosh, today was like the perfect temperature for being outside and doing sort of heavy-duty clearing of invasive species work and...
0: But apparently, we both also thought it was perfect for laundry. Um. <laughs> That's right. That's right.
1: Well, hanging those stuff out on the line. That's right. Smells,
0: smells, good. smells <laughs> good. Exactly. Yeah. Drives fast. Um, well, yeah. I had a, I met with my writing group this morning, and I was workshopping some essays that I was writing, and um, it was a nice response, and it was kind of fun to dabble in nonfiction. I yeah, that's great.
1: So, And you got some good feedback from them. Some
0: Oh, yeah, always thing. get great feedback. And it just made me think some more about what I was trying to accomplish, which is why I wanted to have them read it. And also just to find out, is this interesting at all? Because I think sometimes you think, oh, these stories I tell or this life I'm living, what is it, you know, is it interesting to anyone else? Or I just find it fascinating because I lived it. So my idea is to do a a series of essays about creative failure, (laughs) and and how failing is just part of the process. Good
1: for you. And so,
0: right. So we try to avoid failure, um, but in avoiding failure you avoid being brave and you avoid trying th- new things and all that stuff if you try to be safe all the time you're probably not going to be successful either you're just going to be safe and you're not going to really try anything so the essay is called what was it was essay series was called a series of blind alleys i've been told probably just call it blind alleys but it's all about um my creative career in film and television and books and teaching and writing and um and i said that it's kind of an excuse to make fun of a lot of people but most of all make fun of myself (laughs) 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 for thinking that you know as an intern i was gonna be (laughs) doing amazing creative stuff when in fact i made uh, fake dumplings and guarded (laughs) the equipment in the truck
1: (laughs) Do you ask about how to define failure do you ask about how
0: I think it's early days yet I wrote a foreword and I felt really forward writing a foreword because I was like I haven't written the rest of the book yet um and I think I'm gonna discover some stuff as I go Mm -hmm. um so I think and I think you know, and I say failure, but I don't think it's not its not necessarily uh, everything was a disaster. It's just that it didn't really turn out the way I thought it was going to. Yeah. Or I thought, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to associate produce real stories of the highway patrol. And that's going to somehow lead me to some some other next step in my career. And then it didn't. Or yeah. I discovered that's not what I wanted to do or something or I'm not very good at something or whatever and so I think that's kind of what I'm sort of walking through but I think all of those things kind of add up to interesting stories or learning how to be a storyteller or you just don't know what it's going to add up to be
1: yeah it sounds really valuable I don't think we allow ourselves the space to ask those kinds of questions and think about those things or reframe our experiences in ways that um, might honor the growth we've experienced by going through them. Um, And yeah, I think about just the creative life is by its definition, engaging with something that is not yet and unknown. And so inevitably there'll be some of the product of that won't, won't look like what we might have had in mind, or it might not work in a greater kind of popular context. Well, I mean, yeah, it doesn't mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I also talked about how, you know, you start a new book project, for instance, and you have this shiny idea of what it's going to be. And then you start it and you get down in the weeds. And sometimes you have to say, you know what, this isn't going to work. Yeah, and that's okay, because if you spent, uh, you know, the next five years of your life trying to make this project work that really wasn't gonna work, yeah, then that's a waste of maybe your time. And so, or maybe it's not. Maybe you're gonna learn something from spending five years down the weeds. But you should sometimes trust your gut and not say, "Oh, I have to finish every single project that I start," or "I have to polish every single thing." Like you just have to, you know, make sure that it's satisfying to you.
1: Yeah, and, so, so, and you can't know that. Frequently, you can't know that until you've already invested some time and energy yeah. into it. Yeah. in good faith. In right,
0: good faith. and so, I, you know, all of those things are okay. I think, yeah. um, I think we get really caught up on this whole success. Um, yes. I don't know, treadmill, I don't know what it is, but it's basically really fascinating to me because um, when you have some what someone else would term success so you get published or you get an agent or you win an award or whatever a lot of people will say to you oh you know that's so amazing and often the response is yes but right because there's always something else you could have gotten a bigger contract it could have been a different publisher it could have been a bigger named agent It could have been that you you you, you were never on the New York Times best selling list, you know, you, uh, you didn't win this award that you really thought you were up for. And so I think that we have a we have a tendency that there's always something else, something else. But if you say to yourself, the life is the, the work and the art, then you're not hinging it on someone else's definition of success.
1: Yeah. I had a great opportunity a couple of weeks ago to go very last minute, like within a day of inquiry to a writing retreat that's not so far from here. And um, in the info packet, if you will, the sort of welcome packet, the host at this writing retreat included a quote from Martha Graham to Agnes DeMille. Martha Graham was a uh, dancer, dancer, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So one of the, there were a few number of things within it that really struck me. Uh, one to our point here, Martha Graham writes to Agnes DeMille, it is not your business to determine how good it is, that thing that you are working at. It is nor how valuable it is, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly to keep the channel open you do not even have to believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep open and aware directly to the urges that motivate you. I really liked that, um, that it is the, so she begins that by urging the expression of whatever it is that the artist is moved to express and then to withhold judgment. I I so appreciate it It is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable it is, nor how it compares with other expressions.
0: Well, and I think that's a real danger with art, too, is that we're so quick to put on the critic's hat Yes. Before it's ever been fully formed. And we and we're like, well, this isn't as good as this other book that I just read. Well, that book went through many, many revisions. This is just a new little chick of an idea and you need to give it a chance to grow a little and work yes. on it. And so yes. it's, it's good to try to sort of turn that off and go with your instincts. Um, and then, um, you know, I, d- I just think there's so many interesting ideas that go along this frame of like, how can we get into this mode of being gentle with ourselves yet push ourselves yet don't get too hung up on who's going to like this yes. and what's going to happen with it, but really be focused on creation. So Yeah. Yeah. And if you feel
1: there's something in that, that is, that is undone and that you have a sense about how to not necessarily finish, but how to continue
0: with. and I think you continue with it. Yeah. 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 So you're excited to welcome a friend of yours today. Yes. Yes. Meredith, um,
1: excuse me, Meredith. Martine, you're Meredith. Uh, Martine Halverson Taylor is um, a professor of religious studies at the University of Virginia. And I met Martine because we were fellow fellows at the then Virginia Foundation for the Humanities. Now it's called Virginia Humanities. Martine and I were um, the Hebrew Bible professors in this group, small group of fellows. She at uh, the University of Virginia and I at Virginia Commonwealth University. And um, she is just a wonderfully uh, sharp, creative thinking uh, woman who has been engaged in some very intriguing projects recently. She is adept at translating uh, academic ideas, and sophisticated scholarship into uh, language um, that non-specialists who are interested can get a hold of. And her, so she um, is the author of a book, Enduring Exile, which uh, I have uh, had the opportunity to read. It's really amazing. Uh, it charts the transformation of exile from historically bound and geographically constrained concept into a symbol for physical, mental, and spiritual distress. That is a description um, from her website there at the University of Virginia. She um, has, is a professor of Old Testament Hebrew Bible, especially this kind of um, the literature that comes from what we call the sort of later period, the Second Temple period. She's been doing some um, fascinating work with, uh, um, with an interdisciplinary cohort on religion, race, and democracy, out of which they have a podcast called Sacred and Profane. But most uh, exciting to me recently, because it uh, was a great resource to me as I was working on my most recent book, is her Great Courses um, course she has just finished. The course is called um, Writing the Bible, and it is so engaging. Again, it was helpful for some of my research for this most recent book. I just love having conversations with Martine about anything, but um, in this case, writing and the Bible and how the Bible came to be. uh, Again, that is uh, a project that she produced for Great Courses, and she's working on I think she's working on a book that is related to that. She's also working on a book related to the book of Job and another on the Song of Songs. So she's got a lot of irons in the fire. <laughs> well, let's go call her up. Let's. Yes. Hey, Martine. Hey, hey Kristen. How are
0: you? I'm <laughs> Nice to see you.
2: Nice to see you too. Thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah. You sound really, really busy. Right now, do I sound busy? No, you sound busy. She read your whole bio, and there was a lot of projects going on. (laughs) Well,
2: I'm never too busy for conversations about writing.
0: Oh,
1: excellent! well, we're thrilled to have you here. And, um, yeah, so one of the things, we might as well jump right in. One of the things we always like to ask guests is, um, how did you get to writing? What Mm -hmm. is your journey into this crazy biz?
2: So I didn't start as a writer. um, And it probably took me a while to identify as a writer. I mean, I always liked to write, especially things like letters, um, more creative things like that. Um, But writing um, sort of out of necessity, once I became um, a scholar or, you know, once I went into academia, that's how I became became a writer and i think one of the interesting things is um finding ways of loving it even though it's um wrapped up in your progress you know publish or perish um Mm -hmm. but also how many different kinds of writing i get to do now um which is not something i would have expected and that i am really enjoying in this phase of my career.
1: Yeah, that's great. You know, I think I had a somewhat similar experience coming to writing. The uh, kind of volume of writing I did or honoring the writing and prioritizing it didn't happen for me until mm-hmm. I was a professor and felt like, well, didn't feel like <laughs> recognized <laughs> that I needed to get some things published with my name on them. Yeah. Uh, in order to continue in this academic path, and I, I don't know. I'm curious how it was for you. If um, what that, what that revelation was like for me, it felt like a kind of revelation. For one, it felt like permission, but also a, a chore, and that continues to be true for me. Um, though I now can write all sorts of different kinds of things, and I, and I embrace it as uh, my identity professionally, but I, um, it's always hard and I always want to do it.
2: (laughs) Right. Well, and you, and you really pursued it and, you know, it became your sort of your, your upper level category in a way. I mean, just because you write in so many different genres, right? You've written novels, you've written screenplays, you've written academic books, you've written popular books. Um, I, you know, I, I still always, even though I enjoyed it in and around the edges of it, and I liked writing lectures and I liked, you know, it still, it was never, it didn't assume that sort of upper category of identity, Um, I, you know, I didn't, I would not have introduced myself and I still probably would not introduce myself as a writer,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, although it's really what I spend most of my time doing. Yeah, isn't that funny? Right. I,
0: I, I do. St- I tell. Yeah. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I tell people who, um, you know, students that it's if you're good at writing, you're good at lots and lots of jobs because there's so much writing involved in those well, jobs. Yeah.
2: I, I and I totally agree with that. And you know, that's something that I talk to my kids about and. Um, and I also talked to my students about, you know, um, may, it might not be the three point essay, although those are are writing off into the sunset in <laughs> academia as well. <laughs> but you, you know, if you can if you can write, you know, your assignments well, um, that and learn how to do that, that that is that is a skill that nobody, first of all, nobody can take away from you um and and you know it 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 will enhance
0: everything you do Mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely it's about you know expressing yourself and being able to make yourself understood and if your job is then you know writing emails or trying to sell things or whatever it is you're always going to have that skill right it's going to yeah
2: and you're claiming a voice I mean that's basically what you're doing if you if you have if you have capacities as a writer, you have articulated your voice.
1: Yeah. And I think about something like religious studies, Hebrew Bible, the work that you do, Martine, um, requires a kind of nuance in the writing that to communicate kind of some pretty sophisticated ideas and do it with a lot of different kinds of, trying to juggle a number of different goals, I think, (laughs) including, um, you know, just being clear about what it is that you're saying, but then also packaging it in a way that recognizes that for a lot of people, this text is their sacred text and they may already be coming to whatever they're reading of your writing with certain assumptions. So how do you how, yeah how do you do that how do you write um some of the more sensitive or mm-hmm. um sophisticated scholarship so that people can digest it who may not either be sympathetic to it or or simply it's not their area of expertise mm-hmm.
2: so it yeah, in my in my writing for you know sort of a broader public So maybe not the writing that I do for the small small cohort of, maybe not the writing I do for the small cohort of um, biblical scholars out there, but when I write things for websites about the Bible, or I've just written um, a series of lectures, um, if we wanna get meta about it, it's called writing the Bible. So that's another (laughs) level of the conversation. Uh, You know, I feel in all of those kinds of public um, facing projects that I'm, I'm perpetually translating. So I'm, I'm translating a text that's originally in Hebrew. I am translating some of the, the finer, I think insights in the field about this text that we call the Bible. And um, as you would with almost any translation, you know, in your Spanish class or your Chinese class or whatever it is, um, uh, or your ESL class, I, I feel like I'm constantly checking: Is this true? Is this is this precise enough? Is this is this you know capturing the nuance? Um, you know, how, how can I how can I convey how can I hook people with what what I think is so cool about this, you know, um, but always is this true is this fair is this is this nuanced. So, yeah,
1: that course for the great courses, I had the wonderful privilege and delight of seeing in um, some of its earliest stages with the first lecture anyway. And, um, God, wow. It just drew me right in. Oh, Thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you undergo like a lot of editing? How did, how did you figure out how to package
2: that yeah. huge topic? So yeah, so that I was asked to write something on, on basically who wrote the Bible, um, for the great courses, but it's actually an audible, Uh, you know, so it's through Amazon Audible short course. Um, And uh, it's unusual because it's very short. Obviously, it's a short course. And so it's um, five hours long, basically, 10 half-hour lectures. And um, it is a huge topic. And lots has been said about it. Over the last, you know, 150 years, at least, if not longer, um, and we also think very differently about these things than we did even 20 years ago. So, um, I uh, tried always to um, hook it to a text because people, really, you know, whether people are religious or not, um, the Bible resonates with them. I mean there's a reason it's been around so long is that it's it has a powerful hold on people's imaginations and um so rather than talking about it in the abstract i found it was very helpful always to sort of have a hook um that sort of brought people back to this powerful narrative and then and then also to think about how this powerful narrative um is hard to hard to understand. And Kristen, you've written a lot about this, that it's hard to understand. And some of the ways in which it's hard for us to understand now have to do with the fact that it's ancient, has to do with the fact um, of how it was written, that it was written by many different people over over the course of centuries. Um, Wasn't written all in one sitting or all in one lifetime. Like most of the books we read, are written at least you know in one lifetime, if not in one t- discrete time period, and that in in some ways, um, uh, thinking about who wrote the Bible, um, also opened up the wealth of the Bible's meanings. You know that that if if you can say that the story of creation in Genesis 1 um, was written um, by Babylonian exiles who are living, um, uh, you know, ancient Jewish exiles who are living in Babylon um, when the spring rains threaten to flood everything. And so creation begins when, when wild waters are tamed. Um, that that reveals something about that creation story. Um, that you wouldn't otherwise know um, that the book of Isaiah um, is actually a a book that was written uh, you know parts of it were written a couple hundred years earlier than other parts of it and those later parts are actually trying to make sense of the original um, meaning of, of some of the earlier chapters in their time I mean all of those sort of the question of who wrote the bible also exposes you to what does the bible mean what does it you know what does it signify um and so i I was always aware of the fact that um the question could never simply be answered by the name of a person who wrote it, It, you know, like Bob wrote it.
0: (laughs) Um, You heard it here first guys. (laughs) Exactly.
2: But that that somehow um, along the way we were going to really be thinking about what the Bible is as a document and why it has, has this enduring power to, to, you know, frame people's experience
0: in life what was the process of writing the great courses did you have to submit your lectures and have them edited i i
2: I did but as as with all things
0: um i spent
2: much more time writing and editing them myself and seeing if i had the hook at at the beginning of each lecture right and i would try them out on people like poor kristen here um and uh And I also um, worked with some graduate students, you know, was I making it, was I both making it simple enough that it was accessible, but was I also, um, again, is it true, is it right? You know, like I was constantly checking with myself. So um, I did a lot of writing and editing before I passed it off to my editor. And my editor was great, uh, Peter Cooper, and he, Um, usually uh, didn't suggest major changes. Um, I was, I and my colleagues were harder on my lectures than he was. By the time he got them, they had been drafted and redrafted many times. Um, But I was, I've actually never been so excited as I was Mm. writing those lectures because I really do think there's so many interesting things that I wish were out there more that people that might interest people um, about the Bible. Uh, I had a sort of interesting experience um, about, I guess it was about a month ago, where uh, I was asked by a a library in Connecticut that is close to a house that my mother had, um, if I would please uh, Come and talk about, you know, these audible lectures on, on writing the Bible, um, and the person who asked me if I would said, "But you're really going to have to make it interesting because not a lot of people are interested in the Bible around here." <laughs> and I said, "Okay." So I thought. I mean, I agonized over it, and um, uh, and you know, the the, the appointed hour came. And there were 156 people on the Zoom webinar. Um, You know, they didn't know me, but they actually were really interested in the Bible um, and very interested in this question of who wrote it and why does it matter in this day and age? Um, So, you know, and I know that that's something that you've experienced too, Kristen, you know, that people are just genuinely curious because I think it gets to our our identity as as writers in a funny way. I mean, it comes it comes back to you know. Well, yeah. Well, as a, a mystery
0: writer, I would also say that people love a good mystery. So yes. you know, yeah. every once in a while, they'll find you know some little scroll in a cave, and everyone's yeah. like, "Could this be?" And you know, yes. and they can stretch that up for you know news cycle after news cycle to sort of be like. Have we found yes. something? Can we? Is it a yeah. missing part of the Bible? Or and
2: and how and how do you how do you answer those questions when, unlike a modern mystery, you don't have the benefit of fingerprints, or um, uh, even handwriting styles. I mean, you know, handwriting styles do come into play a little bit in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but. Um, apparently really good scholars of the Dead Sea Scrolls can tell, oh, this is the same scribe who wrote that other little fragment that we have. But um, you know, what kind of evidence do biblical scholars use for teasing that out? Um, And again, along the way, you learn things about the literature. Yeah. And I think we
1: um, tend to ask that question through a pretty with without really recognizing through a narrow set of expectations that 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 the bible would have been written within a very discreet period of time by maybe one or two you know Mm -hmm. that it uh the way that the bible came to be is so wildly different than the way books that we are accustomed to reading um today came to be
2: right and Uh, and and it's and it's somewhat confrontational because mm -hmm. in every age people have imagined that biblical writers look like they do as writers and as scholars. So um, uh, I talk about this in the lectures, Julius Fellhausen, who was, you know, sort of a, a very big name in biblical scholarship, who was the first one to talk about um, the first five books of the Bible being woven together from different sources, the way that he imagined that process, made biblical writers look like a 19th century German biblical scholar. Like he had created (laughs) writers in his own image, right? (laughs) And um, uh, in in a way, not exactly the same way, but in a way, um, early scribes, ancient scribes, Jewish scribes who were copying these texts and were arranging them and reshaping them imagined moses who they thought of as the uh as the um writer of the pentateuch I- imagined him in their own image um every, in every day and age we, you know we reconfigure biblical, biblical biblical authors in in our own image and i sometimes think that some of our thoughts now about how the bible came to be um and uh, how it was written are shaped by uh, the fact that we do a lot of writing on computers. And so we talk about cut and pasting. Um, uh, And uh, we, um, you know, the way we're reading is changing. Um, And we are now for the first time realizing that for something to be called a book in quotation marks, it may not no longer look like, you know, a printed, mass produced, I don't know, paperback. Um, and so all of a sudden we're saying, well, maybe the Bible isn't that kind of a book. Maybe it existed in other forms beforehand and maybe that also influenced our understanding of it. Again, is that something that's occurring to us? Because now that now we have audio books and Kindles and more and more people are reading the Bible on on a website rather than, you know, between two covers. I don't know, um, but it's 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 worth puzzling, worth puzzling over.
1: Yeah, fascinating. I'm thinking about um, your writing as well. I'd never thought about this before, but the way that, um, I wonder if some of the ways that you write uh, the work that you have most recently been engaged in might not have some sort of analogy analogies to the way the Bible came to be, and I'm thinking in this context of oral work, um, oral traditions to literary traditions, yes. it is always such a neat literary thing, but I think about, I you know for me, some of the teaching that I did, some of the things that came to be written that I wrote reflected things that i had first spoken most about yes and in conversation with students and their questions their questions were very important to the ways that i would frame whatever
2: mm-hmm. how about yeah it's, could you speak yes absolutely i mean i i structured sentences and i structured lectures um bec- because of how they were going to go in through the ear um, yeah. which is another dynamic um, you know, when there were biblical authors, there weren't automatically biblical readers, right?
0: Mm-hmm. We know that
2: literacy was was reserved for the very few, and it was written to be performed. Um, and there was this very sort of organic relationship between um, the act of memorizing, transcribing, uh, you know, writing, memorizing, performing, those things, those acts. Um, it coexisted, and they and they shaped the biblical text. How it sounds, how it how it how it clusters together. Um, uh, it wasn't written so that it you know was going to go to press the next day and there would be a thousand copies for everybody of Genesis one. That's just not how it how it happened. And and I and I did think about that with my lectures. I would have struck you know I would have structured them very differently um if if they were going to be uh if they were going to be read um this had to go into the ear and it, it could only be what people could retain in their ear so that that was also an inducement to take out as much of the technical stuff as
0: possible I also think translation is such an interesting part of the Bible story I mean that we um, that we are reading a translation of a translation of a transla- and all this stuff that gets lost, but also that gets, you know, that each translator was putting their culture
2: on yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah, so some of it, w- you know, was translated into other languages, but it was also translated for a new age. So sometimes you'll have little references to, oh, that's what we used to call that place, but now we call it something else. But then you'll also have, you know, larger um, moments where um, I, I gave the example of, of Isaiah, where a later prophet, who's not a fraud or a fake, but but someone who is prophesying in the name of uh, Isaiah of Jerusalem, who lived, you know, hundreds of years before him, says. You know, this this guy has something to say to us now. And I'm I'm speaking in and through him. Um, he's translating uh, Isaiah of Jerusalem's message to to, a, you know, later successive generations, keeping it alive. Maybe he was a student of an, or an adherent of the school of Isaiah. You know, we don't know. Um, but yeah, so the translations going on on many levels, but then also Um, and I run into this all the time with my students. Uh, uh, There are, you know, fairly recent in my field, we would call the King James Bible fairly recent (laughs) (laughs) translations um, that really are the Bible for people. Um, So when I sometimes read from the standard academic translation of, the bible in english which is called the new revised standard version um you know my students will sort of wrinkle their nose and they'll say well that doesn't sound like the bible and it's because it doesn't have the these and the vows of you know shakespearean english in the king james version um and uh some of their translation choices you know have worked their way into English. You know, we, many of our idioms are, you know, translations from the Hebrew into the Shakespearean English that we've sort of carried with them. And some of our ideas about what the biblical text says that we might now translate otherwise, because we know a little bit more about the language, um, because we see some of their cultural barriers. Um, Those have also shaped the Bible. Um, a classic example is the line in the Song of Songs um, in which the young, beautiful woman who's the speaker of the song says, I would translate it in, from the Hebrew as, I am black and beautiful. But the King James Version says, I am black, but beautiful. Hmm. Um, Kristen can explain to you that little word which in Hebrew can be and or, but, but boy, you have spun two very different voices, you know, based on that one change, That's right. Um,
0: um, which is, you know, which is very powerful. So um, are you planning to do more great courses or you're working on some new books?
2: Uh, I would, I hope so. I mean, I think, I would I would love to do another one. I don't know what the topic will be, but I really I so enjoyed it, um, and I I think um, I like being part of the new technology. I like being portable. I like being something that people can have in their earbud for just a few hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm I'm enjoying that, um, and uh, like the two of you, I also um, have a podcast where. Um, I'm working out some of these issues. For example, the the black and or the black but beautiful. Um, we have a wonderful interview with um, a fantastic uh, womanist biblical scholar, Renita, the Reverend Dr. Renita Weems, mm-hmm. um, talking about that. Um, and um, also, like Kristen, our next our f- next season. Um, our fourth season, which will begin in the fall, is going to be an NEH-funded season on uh, religion and spirituality and the land. Um, so, like Kristen, we're moving into um, issues of of land and climate change and so on, and the relationship to religion. So, so that's you know another way in which I'll continue to write for sort of a popular audience.
1: Yeah. I'm curious. In the course of writing, um, like I'm thinking about, I'm glad you brought up your song, the songs book. If, um, if your thinking changes as you write, like if the process of writing reveals something different, or if you're quite clear about what it is that you will be writing, and
2: that's exactly what I am write. always writing to discover, mm. always. And maybe that's why it takes me so many drafts, um, because I uh sometimes I'll have sort of, I, I have a gut instinct that I'm writing toward, but I, I'm writing to learn along with my reader as I write, um, yeah. you know. And that's probably why I do so much revision.
1: It's wild to think about that happening. You know, Meredith and I talk about that in the context of writing fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, that so often things just begin to go in ways that we might not have anticipated and yet there it is and so on we go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to discover that's also the case in acad- academic writing or can be. I know it Absol- was for me as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And also um, uh, the writing uh, takes time because you think you're writing, you know, to explain a point, and then you'll discover, I, there's actually something missing. Uh And then you'll, you know, you'll stop. And before you know it, the afternoon is done. And you've just spent all this time poring over. You've gone down the rabbit hole, as my (laughs) podcast producer likes to call it. Um,
0: And you've emerged with something.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wish more of my stuff were on Google, but it's not Google. But yes, but you, you know, you, and and you and you know you you think you make connections you know in the course of writing that it hasn't occurred to you and isn't part of your store of information and yeah so there off you go you know that's
1: right and then they provoke a new question and yeah. a new line of inquiry and yeah yeah
2: i mean i will say i think as a writer you have to really like being inside your head <laughs> because yeah. You spend a lot of time there.
0: True that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're also glad that being a writer gives us an opportunity to talk to people like you about your writing, yes. um, and we really appreciate you being our guest today. Of course, thank I'm, you, I'm thank flattered you. to be asked. Yes, and uh, and we hope people will check out your. Um, great courses and all the other books that you've read written, because I think it's really fascinating and I think it's really fascinating how you are tying it to issues today that Mm -hmm. we're struggling with and how, um, you know, we can use the Bible to get deeper into those questions.
2: Yeah, I think that, yes, I think there's real value to connecting to the people that wrote this magnificent book. I think we can learn a lot about ourselves, not only about the Bible itself, but about ourselves and our impulse to create and connect and and how we make meaning. So yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, on that, thank you, Dr. Halverson Taylor, the course is writing Bible. Um, and you can learn more about um Martine on Her um, website, well, the University of Virginia website, religious studies, and Martine, any other? Well, the podcast, Sacred and Profane. We hope folks will check that out as well.
2: Yep, and that's also that's available wherever you get podcasts, but it's on our Religion Lab website at religionlab.virginia.edu. Awesome! Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it was so lovely to talk with her. And I um, just had some really great things to say. One of the things I thought was really profound is the whole writing is discovery. And I think that is how you should approach a first draft is is you're you're on a mission, you're on a trip to discover something as opposed to feeling like you should know it already.
1: Yes. And that all you're going to do is record now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's one of the, one of the joys for me of writing is learning along the way, um, and also embracing the challenge that the writing presents of, um, as Martine talked about, you know, sometimes finding that to get from here to there, there's something in the middle you still need to address. And sometimes that'll take you in other directions as well. And so, um, yeah, embracing that dynamic mm-hmm. of writing mm-hmm. as itself a uh, create well, it is a creative endeavor.
0: Yes, yes. No matter what form it's taking, I was very interested because I, I was certain that those um, the great courses take a lot of time, and it sounded like it definitely took her quite a lot of time to think up yes. the topics and then write and then get feedback and yes. continue to revise and then like, then record. I mean, you haven't even gotten to the recording at that point. <laughs> right, right. It's the technical part of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think she really, um, she really wrestled with that. How do I get into this question? Um, because you can approach it from a number of different angles. But uh, boy, as I said, the what I was able to read, and I, I read it. I didn't. I don't think I listened, or did I listen? Well, I think I did listen. Actually, it was just terrific. Um, so engaging and thought provoking, and yeah. And she finds ways. Finds. Uh, it feels. It feels organic. It doesn't feel forced. Of uh, looking at. How the questions that she's asking relate to the ways that we see ourselves in the world, and
0: um, yeah, and I mean, what. A group of writers wouldn't want to discuss who is the writer of, <laughs> of this book right? <laughs> this bestseller <laughs> Yes, the perennial bestseller Hidden through time
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I wish you well in your writing, Meredith You are yes. in the sort of arrest space now. Yes,
0: and um, I always struggle with this but I think Between a first draft and a second draft, I always do need some percolating time. I need some time to think and sort of reflect and um, rest a little, I think, from it so that I can come back and sort of rip it apart. I mean, that's the whole thing. You'd put aside the critical hat while you're writing a first draft, and then you really have to put it on to figure out how you're going to move forward and... um, So this month has been a lot of not writing uh, for me, Mm -hmm. um, which always, then then I start to get really anxious about it and that always pulls me back in. So um, hopefully that anxiety will start soon. (laughs) Well,
1: it sounds like you've also been working on the nonfiction.
0: Yeah, I I, I made a push to get um, 10 pages into the writing group and that was really helpful because I, you know, I'd just been playing around with little ideas and that made me sort of write three of the essays and um yeah and that was a good that was a good experience and as i wrote them i remembered more things which was really fun um to dig more in Mm -hmm. get more info so um, good and your work at the porches was fruitful
1: it was fruitful i'm in the early stage with this next project and i um And it's a complicated one. And so I really needed to have chunks of time that I could really know my brain could be engaged in only that. Um, so it was really helpful to go away for that. Great. I, um, I was able to get a kind of workable outline and really think hard about the rules of this world and what the characters might be like, uh, who inhabit it and, um, my main character in particular. And so that was really helpful. And then also just get started getting some words down. Um, because of course, that's, that's where the rubber hits the road and it starts, um, it starts taking on a life of its own. Um, yeah, so that's where I am. I'm I'm using Scrivener, which is really interesting. My first experience with that software, and it is really helpful for this because there are so many moving pieces and well, so much research.
0: I don't want to say it, but it is hard to go back after you experience Scrivener. So, um, yeah, I'm thinking this will probably be the first of many projects in it, but. You never know. I always think it's great to try new tools and stuff and see if they work. Um, If they don't, let it go. And (laughs) they do great. this
1: This is definitely great for this particular project. There's no question. Having access to the research that relates to all in one place, that relates to the development of the rules of this fantasy world, this speculative fiction world. Um, keeping those things all in an orderly some semi orderly place
0: um well, great. arrangement is really good well great well hopefully uh we'll both have made lots of progress by our next conversation and yes um we are gonna have an exciting guest and uh to be named. No, we know who it is, but. <laughs> <laughs> but the, we
1: want our, our listeners to be in suspense. In suspense, exactly.
0: And Says the mystery writer. Until May. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Meredith, it's always good to see you. Always great to chat writing. So happy
0: that Dr. Helberson Taylor could join us. Yes, and that was a great conversation. And I'll see you next time. See you then.